This podcast is brought to you by LMGPR, Silicon Valley PR that reaches the world. The right story, the right audience equals real business results. Learn more about how we can help you by visiting us at lmgpr.com. Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. This podcast is brought to you by LMGPR, Silicon Valley PR that reaches the world. The right story, the right audience equals real business results. Learn more about how we can help you by visiting us at lmgpr.com. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. My guests today are Phil and Anthony Butler. Uh, Phil is the CEO of Mars Bioimaging, and Anthony, his son, is the uh, Chief Medical Officer. And they uh, look like they're making an ambitious father-son team, and we're going to be talking about uh, the first 3D color x-ray of a human being using uh, new technology. So how are you guys doing? We're, we're all good here in New Zealand. Very good. What time is it there? Um, 8 a.m. on a Tuesday morning. Okay. Oh. Well, good. I'm glad it's at the middle of the night, and I appreciate you guys coming. So tell me uh, a little bit about Mars Bioimaging. What's the premise of the company? And then you know we'll get into uh, your recent accomplishment. Um, well, Mars Bioimaging was founded about 10 years ago with the goal of taking technology developed at CERN um, through to the medical imaging market. Um, in particular, we look at energy-resolved or spectral X-ray technologies, um, and we've been slowly working our way through various markets, looking at the medical research markets. We've made scanners for surgical specimens and, and mice, and we're working our way through to full clinical imaging. So what do you see as the uh, the need in the imaging world? What's what's missing or where is it lacking? What kind of imaging needs uh, work? Um, well, actually, the Everywhere in the imaging world needs work. Um, no imaging tool is ideal and, and can make perfect diagnosis. Um, with X-ray imaging, one of the big things that's been lacking is um, people have struggled to measure the, the energy or spectral information of an X-ray beam. So without it, you can get the tissue's density um, and shape, but you can't get a very good idea of what the material is, um, whether you're looking at fat or water, um, where the, you know, you can't quantify things like calcium um, and you can't do a very good job with pharmaceuticals or, or cell-specific labels that you might add to the, or give the patient. Yes, I might add to that, that looking more from the physics or, or physics chemistry perspective, uh, spectroscopy has been used for, for finding out where, what atoms are, be it in the sun's uh, atmosphere or in, in a test tube or whatever. And that information has been missing in medical imaging. It has been available in physics and chemistry lab, but the new technology out of CERN for measuring high-energy particles, which they wanted to do uh, for chasing the Higgs boson, uses what they call a direct conversion uh, or flip chip or, or, or pixel technology that actually gives you that information about what atom you've got. And that information is basically not available in any other um, imaging modality, medical imaging modality. And so it opens up for much better um, microscopes, if you, if you will, 
that will allow us to look inside the body, which is what uh, most medical technologies want to do, uh, and look at that molecular, what the molecules are, which atoms are in there, uh, and it enables us to see a great deal more. So, right. so you're trying to, or you are incorporating this into medical imaging. What what information will you get once it's successful, or have you successfully tested it? And what what were you able to learn that you couldn't see before? Um, we've been looking with our small bore scanners, our preclinical scanners, at three major areas. One is bone health, um, where we're able to measure the microstructure of the bone. That's just high resolution imaging. But on top of that, we also get calcium maps, so we can look at the bone mineralization. Um, we also get water and um, fat maps, so you, you can look to see other aspects of bone health. Um, we can also get rid of a lot of the artifacts that you have around metal implants, like um, screws and joint replacement, um, which is very valuable. And we've got we've developed methods for looking at the cartilage health. So. In bone, for example, or a knee, knee scan, potentially you could get a lot more information than a current scanner could provide. Um, we've also been working with a number of medical schools around the world looking at cancer imaging and cell labelling and um, using specific markers for various cancers. And finally, we've been looking at uh, heart disease, so what I'd call atheroma, which is the hardening of the arteries that causes heart attacks and strokes, where we've been looking inside the so-called plaques to measure their constituents of fat and water and iron and calcium. And we even looked at cell labels, inflammatory markers and things inside those plaques. One of the, the simple applications. <laughs> yeah. One of the simple applications of being able to tell one atom for another from another is with standard X-ray imaging or CT imaging, you can't tell the difference between calcium and iodine or gadolinium. And because they all just look white on your X-ray. But when you have that extra um, spectral information in sufficient detail, sufficient accuracy, it's very easy to distinguish uh, different, um, what you might think of as heavy atoms, um, heavier than calcium. And on our website, we've got some um, startling images where there are up to three or four different, these metal contrast agents. In a in a um, in an animal, uh, we what can would then... you be able to to? I mean, atoms are you know there's so many of them just in a small amount of material. So I guess you'd have to have like a statistical result of you know what percentage of atoms in a in a given area are X and what percentage are Y and all that. I don't or is it helpful to look at literally yeah, it, single atoms? We're not no, we don't measure single atoms. We need billions of them, and so either. You know, if you've got an iodine um, contrast agent in the blood, then you've got plenty of iodine atoms, uh, not perhaps as many calcium in, in your bone, but you've got enough atoms in there to distinguish them. Uh, and the other way of doing it is uh, in various um, cancer detection systems, for example, people use radioactive atoms where you look at individual atoms. But if you put in a nanoparticle, which is maybe... Um, 100 atoms across, 10 micron, uh, 10 nanometers across, uh, you're then heading towards billions of atoms. So you can pick up nanoparticles uh, and distinguish nanoparticles of gold from nanoparticles of, of uh, any other uh, metal you might want to put in there. Hafnium seems a popular one. So you may be able to can, uh, not have to use radioactive materials for certain 
assess or diagnosis? Yeah, exactly. One of our partners at Notre Dame and uh, is in uh, where is it? In, sorry, uh, Indiana. It's, it's Indiana. Yes, um, it's Notre Dame in Indiana uh, has done a lot of work on developing uh, nanoparticles with different atoms in them, and it, so that you the radio or sorry the chemists can attach them to uh, biologically interesting materials uh, instead of using radioactive materials which might decay in an hour or half an hour or two hours or whatever you can then attach um, perfectly stable atoms that are uh, in many m many cases known to be relatively safe in the body that uh, yeah that would be better than radiation for no reason yeah 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 well it's also it's not just the lack of radiation it's the ability to keep your tagging agent in the fridge as opposed to needing a cyclotron and a radiochemist to make it up on the day you need it. And that's the big one. Okay. Because um, if you have a PET scan, your the the material you're given, SDG, needs has a half-life of a, a little over an hour, I think. Um, and so it needs to be made near where you are and about the time the scan is being done. Um, and often that ends up being flown in from a neighbouring city. Um, whereas if you've got a non-radioactive one, you've got a nanoparticle that's tagged to a specific cell line, that can simply come out of the fridge. So we've imaged um, nanoparticles from partners around the world, um, and they can pop them in the post and send them to New Zealand and we can image them. Whereas if it was a radioisotope, that not only is it hard to send a, a radioisotope, um, it's usually decayed by the time it's got to where, where it's going. All right. Um... So what is it? So you've looked at images. Have you actually looked at medical images with your new uh, resolution, and your new abilities? If so, what do you see? Like what jumps out at you when you look at an image now? Well, we've been um, looking at medical images, if you like, at least surgical specimens for about ten years. So to take the example of bone, the we've worked with Oregon Health Sciences and um, we've looked at hips. So um, they've got some. Um, donated human hips, and we've looked at the, the neck of the femur, and we can measure the trabecular and the cortex very well, which you can do on an ordinary scanner, but we can do it just as well. But we also get that calcium map, so the amount of calcium in grams per cubic centimetre throughout the bone. And we're doing that at a couple of hundred microns, so you're able to see as the bone's resorbed how the mineralisation is changing. Um, so that in itself, um, let's those researchers better understand osteoporosis. So there's one example. Um, the people from Notre Dame have nanoparticles that tag uh, the microcalcifications in breast cancer. Um, our local researchers, as I say, have been looking at atheromas, and so they've been they've worked with an Australian group um, to label activated platelets within an atheroma. That we've measured the fat content within an atheroma. So um, if you like, there's there's dozens of diseases or, or conditions that we've looked at on those preclinical scanners. And so that's given us a really good pointer to where um, this sort of technology is going to go with as human imaging becomes the mainstream. Yeah, there, there are a couple of images or images in a couple of areas that I really think are, are absolutely stunning. Yeah. Our um, Athroma team has been looking at excised uh, plaque from uh, human necks, people who've had a uh, uh, an event, um, a stroke event, where they've over a hundred plaques have been removed by the surgeons and then uh, scanned by us in, in our small ball scanner. So the plaques are 
maybe the size of your finger. Uh, but because we've got such high spatial resolution and the information about the different atoms, we can tell the fat from the uh, standard sort of muscular tissue, the, the standard cells, uh, from calcium. And some of the so, um, some of the images, which of course are in 3D and very high resolution, sort of 80 micron, uh, we can actually see the uh, calcium spread through it. And looking at that rotating in three dimensions is quite spectacular. Um, our visualization guys choose uh, roughly natural colors for those materials. So the, the, the calcium is white and, and the tissue is red and, and the uh, fat is yellow. Uh, some of those images that we've got, you can see where there are voids, where pro probably, but not certainly, the uh, muck came out of the plaque and went into the, into the brain. So uh, they're, they're beautiful in a sense of a really spectacular detail and nice colors, but it's beautiful in the other sense that we appear to be to have a tool that will be very, very useful for uh, those prone to um, strokes. Yeah, it would improve diagnosis because you could see better. It would oh. improve, you know, post treatment to see if the treatment was effective. I mean, it would improve like tons of areas. Yep. Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you've got it spot on there. It's really, um, really quite exciting to be involved in. That. I think you know you started out the conversation saying what is the the need. Um, at the moment, it, medical imaging is the cornerstone of diagnosis, and then seeing whether a treatment's work and following it up. You know, if you have a knee replacement, checking that it's not loosening or whatever else. And so any improvement in imaging doesn't just improve the diagnosis, improves the treatment. It also provides new ways to do research so that um, you can understand more about the disease. So it's a very, it tends to touch on quite a wide range of medical problems. Um, and what we talked about here is often goes by the term of personalised medicine being able to characterise a person's disease or, or problems um, much more accurately so you can, you can distinguish one person's type of cancer from another person's type of cancer. And the, the sorts of things we do at the moment for that are biopsy. But the term virtual biopsy, if you can start using tagging agents that can see the different cell lines and cancers, then you can actually start to get an appreciation of how one person's breast cancer varies from another person's breast cancer. Right, yeah. So we've got research. You may avoid yeah, a biopsy altogether, you know? Exactly. I mean, that, that's sort of the long-term hope. Um, but we have researchers here who've just had a paper accepted to a very large conference in December in the US, um, and she has made particles that show up the HER2 receptor on breast cancer, so the Herceptin receptor. Um, and that means, she, in, at least in cell palettes and, and animal models of disease, she knows which tumours have that cell line and how much of it is there, and quite how that's going to translate to better um, diagnosis and then better treatment and then better management is, is, is years of medical research, but it's got to be a good thing to be able to see that cell line because we know it's an important cell line. Which, which conditions are you getting the most interest in, or which conditions do you wish would be uh, using this technology first? Um, we're actually getting a very, very broad range of interest, which I think is fascinating. So everyone who contacts us that we work with believes their 
the disease that they're studying is the most important. And, and, and I understand where that comes from. But actually, one of the things that fascinates me as, a, as an imaging researcher is that it's the, the number of people who are approaching us and the number of people who are doing work. So Lausanne Hospital in Switzerland has been looking at various forms of gout and pseudo-gout, um, which you know, it's an important disease. A lot of people get gout. Um, but it's fascinating that, you know, we hadn't really thought of doing research in that area. Um, they started it and they've shown that it can be useful there. And, you know, the more the more people who start using this sort of technology, the better. In, what, in, in some ways, t- talking as an imaging physicist, the problem of gout is very similar to the problem of, of these um, plaques. It's the same sort of scale. They're particularly interested in, in, in gout in, the, in hands. Uh, and to be able to see the little crystals of gout that are down there at the um, grain of sand size is really very important. And I think uh, my little understanding of gout, it's the some of the more painful gout comes from having those very small crystals. Uh, just as some of the more dangerous plaques seem to have these very small crystals of calcium in them. So one of the biggest benefits of what you guys uh, are doing will be, you know, in some people, you won't have to have maybe a surgery to take out tissue because you'll be able to figure out what's going on with it in situ. And then for other people, you may not have to have a biopsy because, again, you could figure out what's going on with the tissue without having to biopsy it. And then for other people, I mean, you may, it's amazing, you're right, all the implications of better imaging. It would save, like you said, using radiation on some people. I mean, there'd just be a whole host of uh, preventative benefits just by doing the imaging. Yes, Yes, I'm reminded, as you say that, that sort of 15, 20 years ago, when you went into surgery, uh, you might have just had an x-ray or two. These days, in in a modern Western hospital, basically, you don't go under the surgeon's knife until you've been x-rayed uh, and, and often MRI'd as well and CT'd. The imaging tools give the surgeon so much better information so that when he cuts you open, he's not surprised by what he sees. He knows before he starts what's inside. And in that line, yeah, I've, even, I'm, um, I've even heard of uh, 3D printing. Of, you know, if you have a, a liver tumor, I spoke to a company that's doing 3D printing so they, they can literally see the dimensions of what they're going to work on. Yeah, sorry, you, you, we seem to have lost. Uh, yeah, sorry, I, I was just, oh, I didn't do that. I was just coughing for a minute. Okay. But I was going to say, I've, I've spoke to a, um, a company that does 3D printing, for instance, of, of livers. They don't print the liver, but the liver, but they print a mock-up of it. And, you know, if there's a tumor in it, they show a, a 3D image of it. So the physician can actually hold that, you know, 3D printed model in their hands and literally feel and see the geometry of what they're going to work on. So your imaging would just be yet another step in that. It would make better 3D printed models. It would make, again, better diagnosis. It would make, uh, it would affect a lot of things. I mean, even AI systems that are trained to look at images and to see, you know, which images are cancer, which images are not, for instance. The AI would be, I would think, tremendously more effective by being able to uh, to see this additional detail. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it- once you start thinking about imaging's role within medicine, you can see quite quickly that a very, even a small improvement in what you can do can have very wide ramifications. Um, the figure I have in my head is 300 million people get a CT scan each year around the world. Um, and so you don't need to make 
a huge change to the quality of a CT scan to affect quite a lot of people's lives. Um, and you know, we know that we're that by going to spectral, we're we're producing extra information. You know, I was, I was reading an abstract recently on spectral imaging where they were using the data for segmentation, and the spectral nature meant they they were more accurate with their segmentation. So, um, you know, that ends up affecting a whole lot of people. Did you say 300 million people get a a CT scan each year or a diagnostic scan? Yeah, worldwide, that's what Wikipedia says. Holy cow, I didn't realize that. That's crazy. Yeah, so um, you can see why it is actually worth putting some effort into um, getting the quality of these scans as good as possible. So the spectral information exists in the, in the X-ray beam. You know it carries some information, therefore we should measure it. Yeah, and the other thing, are there any parts of the body that are resistant to this kind of imaging, or that it's it's not going to really be as useful for? I think the answer to that is the second part is is no. It's going to be useful for any imaging, uh, but parts of the body are a little bit resistant at the moment because our pixels are so small, and therefore the voxels that we have are so small. They say down at maybe eighty microns, we get huge data sets. So, uh, you know, if we're doing a wrist or a, uh, as, a, as images that went round on my wrist, you're, you're talking in terms of tens of gigabytes of data. So if you scale up that to a whole human, you're talking about a terabyte of data. Now, if you're in the computer world, you say, well, you know, we can always buy a bigger computer. We can always um, uh, store that on bigger disks. But... Try doing that for 300 million images around the world. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, so uh, what we're looking at in the next, uh, well, the foreseeable future, the next year or three, uh, is um, body part imaging. Uh, and that's, you know, for orthopedic work for, for, for bone surgeons, um, wrists, arms, uh, ankles, knees, they're much more accessible than trying to scan hips or shoulders. Uh, so just as one of the, our issues facing us is the enormous amount of extra information you get. Now, there are lots of mm. techniques for downscaling data, mm. but we've got to develop the techniques for being able to zoom in on the part of the body that the surgeon um, or the diagnostic doctor wants to look at and uh, not overlook what's in the rest of the body, rest of the image. So there's there's lots of nice um, science challenging challenges out there that uh, make this a very exciting project. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is you know perhaps a scan of a larger area, and then if you see something you want to know more about, then you turn on the, I guess for lack of a better word, high fidelity scan that you guys have, and then you look at it deeper but you have a, a, a smaller area in which you get the uh, extra data. Yeah, that, that's certainly uh, an approach. But from semi-accidental reasons, we have very small pixels uh, so that when you do the scan, we collect a lot of data. It's the second part of analyzing it that we would downscale. Uh, and the reason, oh, okay. we have, well, the reason we have small pixels is we need to look at every photon as it comes in one by one uh, because we want to measure the energy of that single photon. And that's what's so unique about this CERN technology they call Medipix, um, is that it 
looks at every photon one by one and measures the energy. Uh, future detectors will measure it more accurately. Uh, at the moment, we um, use sort of 20% accuracy or 10% accuracy on what the energy is. Uh, but that's so much more than using the um, whatever it is, uh, inaccuracies of, of greater than a factor of two that are uh, in there in the dual energy scanners um, and that are currently sold by a couple of the major manufacturers. So we collect that data, and that data um, we know contains so much more information. It is a matter of exploring how to use it. And uh, as Anthony said um, near the beginning of the interview, we've been with our collaborators around the world exploring how you might use this data. And at every area we look at, we say, oh, yes, it is useful for that, isn't it? Not always quite what you expect, but it is uh, always useful. Right. Well, at least it sounds like you're getting all the data, but you may not be able to analyze it all, but it's still there for later in case you did want to analyze yes. it, right? That's right, yeah. Okay. Are you going to run into any, like, you know, Heisenberg uncertainty principle effects where you can't get any more finer definition on what you're doing, or are you there? I I don't see those limits in, in the in the short term. Uh, I think there's, uh, if we're thinking of strict Heisenberg type things, there's, there's nearly always a way around it. Um, you think of, of, of uh, gravity wave measurements and so on. That they they sneak around the simple things you get taught in, in, in uh, basic physics. But um, we've got we're not in that area. We we were in an area where we got so much more information about the human body and, and, and the human diseases that I, I see there's a plenty of development over the next 5, 10, 20 years. That's great. Okay. So um, how long of a road do you think it'll be until um, your imaging is used, you know, for someone that goes to, the, to their doctor or their imaging center, you know, for a scan? At what point will you get into uh, centers? I think we're going to get into um, orthopedic surgeons. Into into the looking at the limbs, looking at that bones, looking at that uh, joint replacement, um, uh, maybe cancers and bones in, in the limbs um, relatively soon. Um, we're going we're just going through the ethical approval stage now to um, scan the first few uh, people on the scanner that, that, that scanned my limbs. Um, and you know, the, the, this is medical ethics for me. It was a different ethics approval, uh, mm. but you know that. So it's a it's a matter of you know a few months, I think, before we start seeing uh, uh, us aiding the diagnosis or demonstrating that we can get better diagnoses, um, and then okay. we just grow from there. We we need more clinical trials, obviously, more demonstration until. Um, we, we get for the US market FDA approval or equivalent uh, approvals for other markets. Okay. Well, very good. Well, what's what's the best way for uh, people to get in contact to find out if they can be one of the early adopters, you know, of uh, of your new scanning technology, or they can see what the potentials would be for their field? How do they get in touch? Yes. The, the Mars Bioimaging website has some links for that, but there's a uh, address which is information at Mars Bioimaging. Info. Info at info at marsbioimaging.com. 
Okay, very good. Well, Phil and Anthony, I, um, you know, I'm really glad you're doing this work. It's uh, it took me a little while to think about it, but the implications are huge. So I'm really glad you do what you do, and I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Uh, thank you very thank much. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.